Hey, Westside family. My name is Matt, and I am the co-leader for the Young and Free group. Thank you for joining us for today's message. We hope that you are blessed by the Word of God through the speaking of our pastors and leaders, and we pray that this leads you into a deeper relationship with Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. We love you, and enjoy. Right on. So let's go ahead and get into the Word today. I'm going to be talking uh, to us about family exposure. What we do, we being parents, grandparents, guardians, influencers of the young, what we do, what we choose, exposes our family to those actions and the outcome of those actions. No way around it. Be it good or be it bad. Let me say that again because this is the premise of the talk this morning. What we do as parents, guardians, and so forth, what we choose, affects the young ones that we influence, whether it be good or whether it be bad. And this is a responsibility that we need to be reminded of so that we can maybe check ourselves. You can't go through a week that we just recently went through or a couple of weeks and come across students sharing experiences and students saying some things about their life or their family and in my position begin to realize that their experience maybe their take their mindset whatever might be coming out of them is not necessarily a direct direct byproduct from their heart but a byproduct of how they were influenced. And this is something that we really have to consider, and we have to really know and be reminded that you and I, our choices and our actions, not only affects us, but affects those that look to us. So as parents, even though we might be making a choice and an action that, for the most part, is private, personal for us, has a way of affecting our children, our grandchildren, and even possibly the generations that is going to be coming after them. I like to think of it this way. My choices that I practice not only affect my children, Not only will they be affecting my grandchildren whenever that happens, but there is a great possibility that they will dictate, influence, and color in the lines of the generations that comes after Jonathan Rhodes. And so when I consider my choices and I consider my actions, and I deal 
with my weaknesses and my strengths. And I have to make my choices on what my flesh is wanting to do, but what my spirit is saying you don't need to do. I have to be reminded and I have to realize my choice just isn't for Jonathan Rhodes, but it's also for Emerald, Koa, Abigail, my nieces, my nephews, the young ones I influence, and the generations that would be coming after me. And I have to realize, as the Bible says, me and my choice equates to one of two things. Because the Bible says, choose you this day. Life or death. And what I have to realize, that choice does not just equate to life for me or death for me. But my choice equates to a life or a death for those that are coming after me. And so therefore, what is established in my mentality and in my mind and actually gives me reason and strength to choose the right or the wise thing is the fact that I got generations coming that is going to receive life or death via their dad or their granddad or their great-granddad when those years come. And this is something that we have to be reminded of because you and I, were not just responsible for ourselves. We are also responsible for those that look to us as leaders and guides and parents and, and certain family members. Amen? So I want us to look at an area of scripture today about a righteous man that made a stupid choice. And his stupid choice led to a curse that fell upon his grandson via his son. And this has to do with Noah and his son Ham. Who would like to have a son named Ham? How many we name your son Ham? I'm going to read a little bit of scripture, seven verses to you. Genesis 9, verse 20. Noah, a man of the soil, proceeded to plant a vineyard. The proceeding is after the flood, after the ark. When he drank some of its wine, he became drunk and lay uncovered in his tent. Ham, the father of Canaan, saw his father naked and told his two brothers outside, but Shem and Japheth took a garment and laid it across their shoulders. Then they walked in backward and covered their father's naked body. Their faces was turned the other way so that they would not see their father naked. When Noah awoke from his wine and found out what his youngest son had done to him, he said, Cursed be Canaan, the lowest of slaves will he be to his brothers. He also said, praise be to the Lord, the God of Shem. May Canaan be the slave of Shem. May God extend Japheth's territory. May Japheth live in the tents of Shem. And may Canaan be the slave of Japheth. Now, oftentimes when you hear and you read this story, there is an emphasis that is a bit not fair. 
the emphasis oftentimes is placed on the sin of Ham. And when you really get inside of it, there's a lot of debate and a lot of talk about what this sin really was. Uh, for the most part, it has to do with sexual perversion. I personally, I don't buy into that. A couple reasons. Number one, I try not to place items in between lines of Scripture. So if the Bible doesn't say something happened, then I don't say it said something happened. If that makes sense. But there's another reason that I don't that that I don't buy into that and I buy into what the word actually says is because of what it said after that. So the Bible says that that that, that Noah got drunk, he was unclothed, Ham came in saw him naked, told his brothers. His brothers walked in backwards, not seeing their dad, and then covered him. After the fact, Ham, that saw the dad, was cursed. The other two brothers was blessed. Why was there cursing? Why was there blessing? The curse upon one, uh, the blessing upon the two, which reveals what really happened, was because of what they did not see, not because of what they did not do. So the two brothers that was blessed did not view their father naked. And so therefore they were blessed. The brother that was cursed viewed the, viewed the father naked. So the Bible has nothing, says nothing about any uh, uh, perverted action that was done between Ham and Noah or from Ham to Noah. It gives the viewpoint of views, which truly lays out a foundation for what really happened and takes the emphasis off of the sin of a son and puts the emphasis on the sin of a father. And we're going to get there to that. So if, according to my process of scriptural interpretation, if the sin was simply because Ham, the youngest son, walked into his father's tent and seen his father naked, it wasn't so much the sin of him that's the problem as it is the sin of the father. And why this is such a big problem is the association with nudity and shamefulness during this time of the Bible. We have to remember that during this time, of, in, during this time in, in a biblical setting, nudity was extremely shameful. Adam and Eve sinned. The first thing that they noticed with one another is that they were naked. Husband and wife naked, but yet they were ashamed. And they clothed themselves. We have to remember that nudity was so important back in this day that when Jacob thought he was going to be with Rachel, but yet was with Leah in the Bible the first night of marriage, he didn't even realize he was with Leah. Now he laid, he slept, he had intercourse with this woman. 
but he didn't realize it was Leah. He thought it was Rachel. Why? Because it was dark. They couldn't see. There was a shame associated with nudity. Now, just for the record, when Jesus died on the cross, one of the freedoms that he reestablished is a freedom, a freedom of being uh, unashamed, naked between a husband and wife. Because when he came out of the grave, he came into a garden, and the Bible relates to him as the second Adam, and he reestablished the blessings of the garden. And one of the blessings of the garden is this beautiful intimacy between a husband and wife that occurs with and without clothes on. So as married people, it is a blessing from Christ that we can experience being unshameful unclothed with intimacy between one another. Can I get it right on? I think that's a good thing. I don't know about you. So back on point, this story technically is not about the sin of a son, but about the sin of a father. Ham didn't purposely go in to see his dad naked. He was just in the wrong place at the wrong time. But it was his dad that put him in a position to enter into a lifelong curse. See, Noah, as the Bible describes as a righteous man, built a vineyard made wine, and he got plastered. The Bible won't say that. But we know that's the case. He didn't just get a buzz, not that getting a buzz is okay. He just didn't get a little tipsy. He didn't just get a little happy. But he got so wasted that he passed out. To pass out after drinking, drinking alcohol, you have to drink quite a bit of alcohol, right? Don't act like you've never drank alcohol. He drank so much alcohol that he passed out. Not only did he pass out, but prior to passing out, he took off his clothes, exposing himself. So Noah, a righteous man, immediately made some choices that the Bible describes as sin, because the Bible describes drunkenness as sin. It says if you practice this, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. And in that time, Biblical standards was not to be naked, but to be clothed. So here we have this father who not only drank a little bit, but got completely plastered, completely wasted, passed out, and in the process of drinking before passing out, completely uncovered himself, revealed himself, and there he was in his sin, uncovered, knocked out, unprotected, unguarded, 
But what he did that he didn't know he was doing is he was setting his son or his sons up for failure. Let me ask you this very important but yet deep question. Are we doing things in our life that is setting our kids up for failure? We work so hard that they have a good education. We work so hard that they are provided well for. We work so hard that they're going to get into the right school. They're going to play the right sports. They're going to be on the right team. They're going to have the right coach. They're going to look the part. They're going to drive the car. They're going to be in. They're not going to feel like ostracized. We work so hard to make sure they are purposed and they are planned and they are successful. But have we thought about our actions and how they indirectly or directly expose our children to things that they really don't need to be exposed to. Are you breathing this morning? I'm not here to judge anybody. I'm not coming down on Noah because I have my personal beliefs of why he did what he did. But the truth is the truth, and the reality is the reality. The father committed a sin that put his son in a position to be exposed to that sin and therefore carry a curse for the rest of his life, for the rest of his generation's life. Because if you jump into the life of the Canaanites, the Canaanites were some of the most evil people in the Bible. And it's very interesting, the other children of Ham is the ones that developed Sodom and Gomorrah and some of the other wicked, evil areas that you read about in the Bible. There's a couple of applications here. There is a practical application. And there is a spiritual application. The practical application is as we read. Don't get drunk. It leads to dysfunction. I don't feel like I have a right to tell you don't drink because in the Bible you see, you, you see restrictions and you see freedoms when it comes to alcohol. I have my own preferences and I know different ones of you have your preferences and your convictions. But what I can stand up here and tell you because the Bible directly says it is that drunkenness is a sin. Period. And the practical application of this is that drunkenness leads to dysfunction, leads to failure, leads to shortcomings, leads to a position of not being able to guard and protect the ones that we love the most because we are, are, we are intoxicated and consumed. But there is a spiritual application to this. It's not just about drinking and getting drunk. There is a spiritual application, and the spiritual application that we can consider for our own lives, whether we drink or not, is the intoxication or the consumption in life on our part that is causing us to put our, chi our children in a precarious situation and causing us to be unprotected and unguarded as the protectors of our children that we should be. So not... When Noah was intoxicated, 
he became unguarded, unprotected, which allowed his son to come in and see his nakedness that led to a curse. In life, if we're not careful, we can be intoxicated. We can be consumed. We can be controlled by various matters and various pursuits and various weaknesses in life. Your dreams, your work, your money, your friends, your hobbies can consume you, can intoxicate you, can control you to the point that you are so consumed with your own life, you are unguarded, and therefore our children is put in a situation where they walk into a, an experience of exposure and therefore finding themselves placed in the battle of a curse. I see it all the time. Parents caught up in life, consumed in life, controlled by the matters of life, that the children are left unguarded and left, whoops, and left unprotected. See, like Noah, our choices can curse our children, even our grandchildren. But I will say this, like Abraham, our choices can bless our children and our grandchildren. See, even righteous men and women have to be so careful that we don't cause our kids to stumble. Noah was a righteous man. He wasn't a pagan. He was a righteous man. He listened to God. He obeyed God. He had a connection with the creator of life. He's the, one of the pillars of, of biblical faith. But yet he stumbled that caused his children and his grandchildren to deal with the curse that they would not have had to deal with if he would, would not have had made that choice and would not have been consumed and intoxicated by the work of his hands. Mmm. See, he wasn't just consumed by his wine. He was consumed and intoxicated by the work of his hands. That's why the Bible says he was a man of the soil. He proceeded to build a vineyard, then made wine, and became drunk off his wine. He was consumed by the efforts of his hands.
that he was, there was an unguarded atmosphere that caused his son to sin. What we do, maybe what we don't do, exposes our families. What we watch, what we listen to, what we say, what we don't say, how we treat our wives and how we treat our husbands, how we associate with our neighbors, the attitude we present in society, the heart we give on the job, the list goes on and on. What we choose and what we do exposes our children. Now there's a very interesting statement that Jesus said. John chapter 5 verse 19 reads, Jesus gave them this answer. Very truly, I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself. He can do only what he sees his father doing. Because, can you say because? Whatever the father does, the son does also. A two-way application, an application, an application for Jesus and his authority, but an application for fathers and sons or parents and children. Because whatever the father does, the son does also. Think about it, please. My heart this morning in sharing this is for the well-being and the health and the righteousness of us and our families. Sometimes we need to have these talks and hear these more serious messages about matters of such. See, I, I want to witness your children grow older and not partake in the world, but grow older and become partakers of God endurers of good, and disciples of Jesus Christ. But what I know is that is a lot less likely to happen, not that it can't, but it is less likely to happen if I don't speak the truth to you. Because as Jesus said, because whatever the Father does, the son does also. I've heard stories of some of you getting saved under Pastor Ross's ministry. And after you got saved, you started coming to church. And after you started coming to church, then came your spouse, and then came your children, and then come your grandchildren. What a beautiful, beautiful testimony. And what a great example of what the father does, so does the children. Or what the parent, I'm not trying to pinpoint fathers or mothers. But 
what the parent does, so does the children. Am I making sense this morning? I want you to leave here with a sober mind considering your ways and the effect they have on your children or that the effect they could have on your children, your grandchildren, and your generations to come. I told you this before, I'm a byproduct of a curse broken. I come from a drinking family. I come from a fighting family. I come from an adulterous family. But I also come from a family where the curse was broken Jesus was chosen, and the favor and blessings of Almighty God, I can honestly say, runs throughout my family tree. Why? Because my dad considered his choices and made the right choice. I want to challenge you, moms and dads, consider your choice not just for yourselves, but consider your choice for the outcome of your children as well. Amen? Worship team can come. Let me pray over us and our families. sometimes as pastors we do we do know things and sometimes we don't know things it's funny the things that people will think we know that we have no clue of (laughs) and the things that we know that no one knows we know and as he was speaking I was thinking what a great opportunity to give you an opportunity this morning to make things right as parents as grandparents as aunties as uncles of whatever place of influence you have because the story doesn't have to be that because you chose to do something wrong, your family is now cursed. But the story can be that through the forgiveness and through the blood of Jesus Christ, because he did come, that there is a covering over you and your family. And we, in every season of life, no matter how near we are to the coming of the Lord, I still believe in every season of life, he doesn't come back for 50 more years, you're gonna die before then you're going to meet your maker (laughs) and it is important that in every season you're ready to meet him because we're not promised tomorrow and if you've been messing around in your marriage you need to get it right because it's destroying your family and if messing around in marriage is that you've got somebody on the side you need to let them go messing around in your marriage is that you're looking at things that's leading you to a dark place that isn't allowing the intimacy that you should have between you and your spouse you need to turn it off you need to have accountability and you need to get it right and if you're working so hard on the job that you aren't spending time with your kids you need to rearrange your schedule so that you can have some time with your children because some of your children are hurting some of them aren't talking and I'm not saying because any kid told me anything at camp I'm saying because I know 
It's a get right moment this morning because I don't believe this message was just given so that we can ponder it and then on our time make those choices. I believe that God is calling us to a place of holiness and righteousness. And you know what? God loves you and he loves your family and he put you together in your marriage and he gave you the children that he gave you and he's blessed you with the jobs and given you favor in the community and put you in places to lead and coach and minister and do and all of that is under his covering. But when we allow sin to get in and we allow those things to come in, things start to get yucky. But it's not too late. It's not too late. It's not too late to make those things right. It's not too late to make choices to change so that we can be unified with our children. The enemy is out to destroy family. He is out to cause dissension amongst your personal family unit. And then he brings that over into the church to destroy the family of God. He's out against you personally to cause dissension between you and your children, you and your spouse, you and your mother, you and your father. And then he brings that over the church because he knows if we're broken and we then don't feel like we're worthy enough to serve in the kingdom of God. And then if we don't feel like we're worthy enough to serve in the kingdom of God, nothing gets done. And there's a lost and dying world who needs to hear the gospel message who needs to know that Jesus is our Savior, that he is our Redeemer, that he forgives us, that no matter what we've done, you see, there's no shame from him and I this morning towards anything. We don't, we don't shame you. We don't look at you and go, I can't believe. Because you know what? We can be there too if we don't stay connected to the Father. And there are those that are in this building who have walked through some rough roads as I see some of those faces this morning, I'm so thankful that God forgave, that God redeemed, and that you're sitting here this morning headed in the right path. But if you're sitting here this morning and you're not headed in the right path, then these altars are open to you. And we want to pray with you. And we want to believe with you. And you know what? Just because you come doesn't mean you've done something, oh, this is terrible. Maybe God is just working on your heart that you've allowed some things to keep your family from being the family unit it needs to be. Remember when I spoke about sun and the fun and I talked about how, you know, you, you, even if it's failing, keep on trying. You know, our family devotion on Mondays hasn't happened in, I don't know, maybe three weeks because we've had camp and we've had this and that. But guess what? I'm going to be gone tomorrow and it won't happen tomorrow night either. But the following Monday, we're going to do it. Because I have not forsaken what I've said I'm going to do, and I'm going to keep doing it, even if it gets delayed a few weeks. Don't allow the guilt of the enemy to tell you, oh, see, you're a failure. No, you know what? I might be a little delayed in what I was wanting to do, but I'm still going to do it. I'm still going to make the plan. I'm still heading forward. Maybe the enemy has tried to condemn you for what you haven't done, but whatever you've declared you will do this morning, grasp onto it once again. As for me and my house... We are going to serve the Lord. And it take, you know what? You got to take time to clean house. You can be going and going and going. But how many of you know the laundry starts piling up? The dishes start stinking. The trash needs to be empty. Sometimes spiritually, that's exactly what we got to do. We got to sweep. We got to mop. We got to empty some trash so that we can get our house cleaned back up. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us. We hope God spoke to you personally and continues to encourage you throughout the day and the coming week. 
We'll see you next time.